This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you're listening to Night School, the show that explores ideas and themes in the social sciences and the humanities. I'm joined by my co-host Simon Soon and our guest today, Akiko Sugiyama, a lecturer in history at the University of Malaya. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hi, Akiko. Before we start, so maybe you can introduce yourself first. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, first of all, I'm really excited to be here. I'm a bit nervous. Mm -hmm. First time going on air. I'm currently uh, a senior lecturer at the University of Malaya. I have been based at UM for a little over two years now. Um, before that, I used to teach at the University of Macau, mm-hmm. and I was there for several years. And in fact, the project I'm going to talk about today started while I was based in Macau. Okay. So, so this is not a project that you have uh, started working on since your PhD days? Well, I, I would say this project is a post PhD project mm-hmm. that started off on its own. Okay. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> great, great, great. Mm. So we're going to be talking about Western Oprah in Asia, right? Mm. Yes. Yeah, so before we delve deeper into it, maybe you can just um, give us a brief description of what is Western Oprah. Mm. Right. First of all, I think we uh, should um, we should talk just briefly about opera mm-hmm. as uh, a theatrical and musical genre. Well, first but I also have to say, I'm not specifically trained in music history or musicology. Mm-hmm. I'm a historian by training, mm-hmm. uh, histor- history of Southeast Asia, uh, world history. So um, my understanding of opera is um, it's a genre that gives an equal weight to singing and also instrumental musical element mm-hmm. performed together. And um, my understanding is the genre that I have been studying uh, in the past few years started or was shaped, took the shape as we know today by the 16th century in Italy is my basic understanding. But over the course of the years, I believe the genre uh, kept evolving, some repertoire give more emphasis on the lyric, the words that are performed, and others are more musical uh, by nature. Mm -hmm. And the works uh, that I have been studying for this project tend to go more on the musical side because that's one of the ways that we can define a typical aesthetic uh, sort of status of opera in early 19th century. Mm -hmm. But I think that Right, probably what I, <laughs> I can. So, what, what, what sort of like? How did it become a sort of like global phenomenon in the mm-hmm. early nineteenth century? Mm-hmm. And you know, what what account for its virality? Right, like, uh, as it were. I yep. mean, was yep. there very specific sort of like contacts that would allow for it to sort of like uh, gain widespread sort mm-hmm. of like popular appeal? Right. Um, First of all, let me just start by saying the time period Mm -hmm. I have been researching on will basically concern the first half of the 19th century. Mm -hmm. I'd say up to the 1860s, but I've been primarily looking at the first three, four decades of the 19th century, mainly because based on my reading of studies in music history, mm-hmm. musicology. It was during the first three decades, I'd say, of the 19th century when opera, Western opera or European opera, particularly Italian opera, that started 
disseminate globally. Mm-hmm. And so much so that some scholars have called this genre one of the earliest examples of world music. Mm-hmm. Then coming from there, my part in this global studies of Western opera of the early 19th century is to basically situate this part of the world, Southeast Asia, or maybe you can say more broadly, the Indo-Pacific region or Mm -hmm. the greater Indian Ocean region, and find out what was happening. Okay. So So let's exercise a bit of our historical imagination. Mm -hmm. Early 19th century means that uh, it's an age without steamship. Right? We're not still quite, operating on sort of like sail, sail primarily. Right. So it takes a very long time to long travel time, from one yes. place to another place. Yes, yes. Uh, we don't have cables. We don't have no tele- telegraph sort of like cable. Postal services was barely sort of like set up and primarily established in port cities. Right, right. Uh, not inland. Uh, uh, so communication wasn't as developed as you would think of by the late 19th century of like century. How did opera then spread? And of course, let's not forget to mention that sound recording technology <laughs> would not have been invented until, you know, 100 years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did it spread? And, uh, right, yeah. yeah. This is sort of really the crux of mm. uh, what I have been looking at right. and trying to understand how it spread and why. Well, um, the data I have collected so far primarily focus on, as Simon said, interactions in and around port cities. The operatic performers, uh, the operatic troops that I have been studying about, they, as far as I know, they traveled by sea. Mm-hmm. And um, the type of ships that they uh, they traveled on, of course, are commonly basically by sail. Mm-hmm. But but at the same time, by the late 1830s, we're beginning to see the early instances of operatic performers traveling on really early steamships. Mm. But at the same time, the, we have to also keep in mind the steamship, the early versions of them, it was still hard ship. Yeah, okay. uh, lots of smoke coming out, mm-hmm. the speed was not as fast mm-hmm. as it should we'd like it to be. So it's still a hard, mm-hmm. physically demanding journey. So yes, through maritime journeys, that is one way, vehicle of transmission. But at the same time, I'm also aware of some references to, for example, really the early rail roads being constructed. Mm-hmm. This is in the context of the Americas. Mm-hmm. And that also possibly helped bring new cohorts of migrants. Okay. But what but sort of like pushed them out right, in, to venture out into to the sort of wide world? Were there historical sort of like events in sort of Europe, yeah, for yeah. example? That, yes. Uh, you know, uh, making life difficult. Uh, for some yeah. artists. Okay. Right. So far, what I'm aware of is, for example, in early 19th century, opera industry or the aesthetics of opera in Europe Mm -hmm. was undergoing some major transition. Before that, opera was primarily associated with basically the words that were performed. Okay. So from a theatrical, um, theatrical genre 
to musical genre, that transition was, was happening in Europe. Mm. And this was in the late 18th to the, the really the, the turn, around the turn of the 19th century. Okay. But what that meant was that the new repertoire that was coming up in Europe in the first couple of decades of the 19th century, because they're emphasizing more on the musicality of it. Because of that, the new repertoire was becoming more vocally demanding. Mm. Or it's called the bel canto style, the beautiful singing of Italian opera. Mm-hmm. Rossini is one of the leading composers of this style. Bellini, Donizetti, uh, they're all associated with this beautiful singing style mm-hmm. of opera. So because of this ongoing aesthetic transition of opera itself, some singers who were maybe vocally a little on the weaker side, they were losing out in the market. Mm. So some decided to venture out and seek opportunity in the Americas, mm-hmm. commonly. Mm-hmm. And um, so therefore, the groups that we meet in this part of the world, in terms of quality of the performance or they're standing in in the greater opera industry, they're by no means the A-listers, to put it differently. They are sort of struggling in a number of ways and they decided to to sort of explore Mm -hmm. opportunities outside Europe. And you're almost suggesting that the path in which sort of like opera came to this part of the world was through the Americas. Right. Rather than uh, what you, uh, you know, the normal pattern of sort of like um, travel from Europe to mm-hmm. Southeast Asia, you, you would sort of like go around the horns of Africa, all the way right. around the Bay of Bengal, uh, down to the sort of like Malay archipelago. But opera sort of like almost sort of came in from the different direction. I would imagine through, from America through to Japan and then uh, making its way down to the Philippines, to, to, to the Philippines, and then to this part of the world. Is that right? Yes, uh-huh. and also no to a certain okay. extent because I'm seeing both instances. Uh, mm-hmm. But the earliest known, at least in my data, recorded opera season mm-hmm. took place in Macau okay. in 1833, and the group that performed in Macau back then they traveled from the side of the Americas. They sailed they sailed off the coast of um I think Lima if I'm not wrong but I have to yeah I have to double check. But uh but anyways they sailed from the uh South America. Okay. And then they journeyed across the Pacific and then they came over to the Asian side. So far I don't have any records, for instance, of them performing in Manila, for example, okay. which is most likely a possible stop before Macau, because Macau and Manila in early 19th century, there's a lot of traffic. Okay. And also, just another, another factor uh, concerning Manila, because the Galeon trade that mm-hmm. lasted for a few centuries was ending. Mm. Or it ended officially in 1815, if I'm not wrong. So that really opened up the market and brought in new group of people, private merchants. So there's a lot of movement going on, even beyond the context of musical, Mm. cultural uh, encounters. So, yes, so that is one case of the Mm Trans-Pacific route. But otherwise, normally, it would be the other way. Are you saying that? Um, My feeling is, yeah, that's a really good question. 
My feelings, I think it's coming from okay, both directions. directions. Initially, because I first encountered this record of operatic season taking yeah. place in Macau. But, yeah, but, but essentially yeah. what you're also suggesting that there is a demand for it. Uh, I mean, how do you, oh. I, I, have you sort of come across records that actually suggest that it's, uh, it was very well received, that it was uh, like mm. in demand and, mm. and therefore account for the fact that troops are traveling from all these different sort of directions? The demand, as far as I know, comes mainly from the emerging European and to a lesser extent American expat communities. Okay. But at the same time, I also have to uh, say that if you look at, for instance, if you try to understand the exact like demand in terms of quantity by looking at ticket sales, right. the crowd size, this type of data I don't have. Right. So I can only infer from, for example, performance reviews mm-hmm. that are published in local newspapers, mm-hmm. periodicals, and also bits and pieces of information we find in personal accounts, right. diaries, mainly, uh, and travelogues. So judging from what I have read in these types of sources, quite well received. People are excited. But at the same time, performance reviews almost always have a bit of critical uh, critique also. So um, some reviews might say something like, okay, generally we're excited to host its first opera season mm-hmm. in Macau, for example. What I have in mind specifically is this uh, performance review or an essay on Italian opera season mm-hmm. in Macau of 1833. It was published in the Canton um, Register. Mm-hmm. So this review article also talks about weak points of the, the performance. For example, the group that performed was very small, only six performers. Right. One is the director slash instrumentalist. So mm-hmm. he conducted from the piano. Then uh, five singers. Right. So the reviewer was not happy with this arrangement. Mm-hmm. He was not very happy with the instrumental aspect of the performance, but generally happy with singing and so forth. So right, generally right. well received, but there's some critical Right. Comments also. But the fact, uh, just just to sort of like understand where you're sort of like going with this is by 1830s or mm. 1820s like that, there are conversations sort of like happening around sort of like opera. People yes. are sort of like talking about yes. opera. There is a sort of like public sphere that yes. is in yes. sort of like conversation around a popular sort of like culture or some kind of like elite sort of like culture, right? And maybe in the second half, we can then sort of like try to understand what is this sort of like elite culture that opera can then help. Is to help, what's, sure. that, what's helping to foster? Sure. Mm, all right. So we have to take a break. Uh, hold that yeah. thought. You're listening to Night School with me, Hanif Baharudin, and Simon Soon. And this week we're joined by our guest Akiko Sugiyama, and we're talking about Western opera in Asia. Right. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're tuned in to Night School with me, Hanif Baharudin. I'm joined by Simon Soon and our mm-hmm. guest for the week, Akiko Sukiyama, and we're discussing Western opera in Asia. In the first part, we've sort of like um, have mapped out how the opera 
came to Asia, right, from the West. And I guess uh, one of the things that we ended the discussion with was on the concept of the, the consciousness, you know, whether people are aware of whether they were talking about Western opera uh, by that time. And I think at one point it became part of the local culture, at least whether it's mm-hmm. elite and whether it's within the expat community, it's, it's one thing, but at least it became part of the conversation in Asia, right? So maybe we can sort of like, you know, um, continue our second part by really sort of like thinking what what this kind of culture meant, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, What are its uh, what are the rules that sort of like govern these sort of like culture, and what are the implications for a kind of like colonial sort of like Mm -hmm. um, society that was shaping itself. Uh, that would sort of take very different sort of like direction uh, over the next half of the sort of nineteenth century. Right. Right. Because okay. uh, we often think of this colonial sort of like, um, yeah. you know, the colonial period as this sort of like long stretch of time yes. where everything was just a series of systematic singular form of subjugation, right? Uh, yes, of course, that system was sort of like in place. Uh, but nevertheless, I think also there are this changing sort of like social mores. The first thing I can think of is like the emancipation of sla- slavery, mm-hmm. uh, the, the abolition of sort of like slavery yes. that happened in 1830s. Yes, yes. Uh, that would immediately sort of like change the way we yes. sort of like understand the colonial sort of like paradigm and what mm-hmm. it sort of like meant. So how do all these sort of like changes factor into the rise of opera as a sort of like elite culture within mm-hmm. colonial society? One of the consequences, I uh, say, out of this the arrival of Western opera, but you know, of course, opera existed before. Mm-hmm. Opera as theatrical musical genre already and existed for at least a few centuries. But this particular time period, early 19th century and the second half of 19th century, probably is a period that um, deserves some investigation. One reason might be that this marked the beginning, really, I think the beginning of commercialization of musical production and consumption. Mm. Because prior to that, music was performed by household slaves, slave musicians. Uh, Let me just give you an example on the case of Batavia or now Jakarta. In Jakarta, during the British occupation, this was the time of the Napoleonic Wars, and the British took over Batavia or Java from the Dutch for a few years and ruled from 1811 to 16. Then, in 1813, slavery was abolished. Mm-hmm. What this might have meant for people involved in music making is possibly this this kind of initiative, probably had some impact because slave musicians are no longer legit sort of uh, bound to perform mm. right okay and uh, but also at the same time also during the British occupation the new ruling officers that are arriving in uh, in Java they also came brought with them consciousness that, for example, if you're European, you have to follow European etiquette, mm-hmm. you have to be well-versed with European entertainment. So there's this growing consciousness slowly, mm-hmm. slowly emerging that European entertainment is for Europeans. Mm. And then for that... And this uh, wasn't as sort of prevalent before. 
the 19th, the is, is my century, that right? that okay. is my understanding because okay. up until that point, Batavia and also I think in other port cities too, well. Commonly known for their cosmopolitanism、mm-hmm. and also、um, really racial categories. Of course, they existed, but quite porous.、Yeah. And people moved in、mm-hmm. and out. But I think there is a growing sense of hierarchy、mm-hmm. based on your origins.、Right. And music probably. Had a role to play in、mm-hmm. creating this new imperial sort of consciousness,、right. but I will also add one element. But who were the audience? Who were、right. the consumers of、right. Western opera of really early days、right. of its existence in this part of the world? When I say Western opera, I'm particularly looking at early 19th century professionally produced opera. Right. Right.、Uh, one group that I believe have attended. The operatic performances were European Dutch residents of Batavia,、mm-hmm. but they're by no means. Some of them have lived in Batavia for、mm-hmm. generations,、mm-hmm. and that, in fact, was a problem,、yeah. uh, or uh, that partially caused the VOC, the Dutch East Indies, to sort of decline because there is a growing blurriness、mm-hmm. in terms of being Dutch and being local,、yeah. uh, being native. So, opera or Western music or musical performance was growingly becoming a tool to sort of redraw racial boundaries、right. and、um, to so educate. So, if you were an earlier generation mm-hmm. of um, Creole, mm-hmm. Creolized sort of Dutch, right, whose family or who who is a descendant of someone of a VOC sort of、mm-hmm. officer who has been、uh, in the Dutch Indies for、uh, many generations. Are you able to transcend or cross over this sort of like racial boundary that opera is now sort of like circumscribing between a ruling elite from、uh, you know、um, those who are、uh, outside of this sort of like、right. uh, who are those who are outside of power? Right.、Uh, my my sense is that to long time local residents, this was an alien culture. Right. I think for them, probably、mm-hmm. the transition. Was quite rough, or some sort of imposition was、right. necessary. But were they forced into it? Then are you suggesting I, that they are forced there, into? There are、right. some accounts suggesting,、right. for example, when a new theatre was founded in Batavia. Now it's standing, Kedung Kesenian Jakarta. When this theatre、uh, initially was built during the British occupation, but later renovated and opened again. A few years later, I think eighteen, sixteen, seventeen. But anyways, and、um, but the theater came with dress code.、Mm. You have to wear shoes and socks to enter and enjoy the performance.、Right. So the mere imposition of this kind of dress code、right. suggests that people are quite unfamiliar、right. with this. What Europeans back in Europe might have taken as for granted,、mm. but for European Eurasian residents of Batavia,、mm-hmm. this kind of etiquette was was quite new and alien,、right. and had to be taught、right. and imposed on、right. them to civilize、okay. them、right. in one way or another. So what you're suggesting is that they are sort of like given the opportunity to then enter into 
a social class, a powerful social class, if they want to and if they are able to conform to, I don't know, the social kind of like uh, expectations mm. it, uh, uh, that opera demands, that opera sort of like you know. Mm. Opera is among many other okay. types of entertainment that. I'm looking at Batavia again as an example mm-hmm. that were produced and consumed. There's, for example, acrobatic circus troops that came, mm-hmm. instrumentalists also came, yeah. violinists, soloists of all kinds came. So, but I think, um, yes, there was probably a choice for long-time local residents to to comply with new norms that are now brought in in the context of consuming entertainment. Mm -hmm. But at this stage of my research, the interactions and the process of transition, if any, of entering into the official dome mm-hmm. of the Dutch colonial administration, whether to what extent that transition occurred, I don't have much information on it. But my sense is that some imposition was necessary to Europeanize, mm-hmm. European European residents of Batavia. So that I think in itself started to sort of implant in, in one way or another some sense of this imperial imperialism, mm-hmm. cultural imperialism of one's world. Mm. What were some of the themes that these opera performances carry? Um, mm. Were they mm. um, uh, meant to pander to the concept of imperialism? There are some scholars that have talked about, for example, Verdi's opera being highly politicized. Uh, it was a symbol of Italian unification and so forth. And also the construction of theater itself represented the power, imperial power. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of French colonies, for example, I think Edward Said has talked about this, the opera theater mm-hmm. being built in, in Cairo, was, uh, was looking over the... Um, um, Older communities and so forth as a symbol of, of imperial, this imposition of superiority of one group, culture of another. But then in terms of the actual themes that run through in opera, operatic works, I'm trying to think the plot tends to be rather quite straightforward, simple in, in, in some ways. What would a typical plot be? Um, yeah. Oh, that is, is it about love? Like, is, is it about, uh, I don't know, uh, um, uh, intrigue? Like intrigue, 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 okay. intrigue, family intrigue, drama, family drama uh, intrigue. What kind of intrigue? Political intrigue or like uh, family court. sort of a court? Okay. Intrigues and also lots of love mm-hmm. affairs. So conflict but, that would sort of like drive a story yeah, forward, right? But um, okay. it comes in different, really. The storylines do vary. Mm-hmm. Some are more religiously mm-hmm. uh, inspired. Then others are more into like mundane, everyday, this love story. So it's hard to really generalize what seems more dominant than others mm-hmm. and more prevailing than others. But um, but I think what I'm trying to suggest is, if you look at 
the themes that run through in the actual operatic repertoire that are performed don't always come with like political agenda mm-hmm. to rule one group over another. Mm. It's, it's really purely beautiful singing, um, easy on the eyes, ears, music, and also the stage manners and so forth among singers. Really light, I would say light-hearted, but in terms of, for example, the size, the sheer number of singers that are required, Rossini's operas tend to be a lot smaller in scale than Verdi's or Wagner's that come later in 19th century. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you look at a bit earlier, Italian opera by Mozart, the, the main character is only like five, six Okay. So it's compact enough for you to com- pack up and travel. It was possible. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the reasons right. that this, um, these operatic works could travel mm-hmm. beyond the European opera um, theater mm-hmm. uh, proper. Without orchestras even, they okay. could be performed in rearranged through rearrangements. Because that's one of the very common mm ways of introducing mm. and what are the separate. instruments that would be sort of like used I mean uh, I, if yeah. it calls for does it ever call for for example something like a piano and how would you if they move the piano around how would they sort of like move it do they sort of like travel with right. the musicians or the, is the piano sort of already sort of can it be already found in say the Dutchies in the like, early 19th century in early 19th century the time period I have been studying I have yet to come across evidence saying that the musicians traveled with the piano. Mm-hmm. But later in the 19th century, mm-hmm. we're beginning to see cases of newly arriving residents, merchants. They're taking with them symbols of their culture, including mm-hmm. the piano, the mm-hmm. middle class culture. So what happened in the early I uh, think the um, my sense is that the instruments were were local. Okay. It, they were there already. Right. This is my my sense. Although I don't have that written or anything that says okay they were locally made. But judging from circumstantial evidence, I think they're local origin. Okay. Uh, local origin means they're made locally. They're made they're locally, yes. I believe so, okay. yes. Yes, right. okay. yes. Right. Locally made. Did these opera groups then um, sort of like influence the local community then in terms mm. of maybe creating yes. new new types of performances that happen within the local community? Again, at the very end of the 19th century, by then, local theatre mm-hmm. Comedy Istanbul, mm. based in Surabaya, for example. I have read works by Mashu Cohen. Mm-hmm. He has talked about some of the repertoires of Comedy Istanbul being developed out of Italian opera. I think oh, Norma okay. uh, was one of the inspirations of one of their repertoires. Mm-hmm. So, so there's this selective adaption mm-hmm. of adaptation of Western opera that introduced in early 19th century being 
adapted into local right. settled I mean, I suppose the, the, the themes of love, betrayal, caught love, intrigue. betrayal, These are all intrigue. really universal. It's like, quite universal. It's, right, it's mm. almost like Bollywood movie having <laughs> a, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a sort of like a cultural resonance in different parts of sort of like the world. Right. Uh, so, would you say that? I mean, uh, it, it, it's very interesting that in, in the sense that while they're sort of like trying to control a population through, say, the imposition of a culture that, that selects uh, a group of people within the colony to participate in, uh, nevertheless, uh, what, what is sort of like interesting is the, the converse actually sort of like happens, right? that there are certain sort of like universal qualities in the opera that would go on and see many different kinds of like interesting culture, mm-hmm. performance culture, mm-hmm. and performance and music culture in this part of the world. Comedy Istanbul being one, mm-hmm. Bangsa one being another. Bangsa one, yes. Uh, one, you know, there's even one. sort of like stuff like the Borea. Yeah, uh, there's yeah, stuff like uh, yeah, all yeah. the fancy dress mm-hmm. balls that, that would uh, be very, very, very popular mm-hmm. that even a lot of, uh, you know, our AMNO leaders, if you sort of look at their yeah, portraits of their youth, they would be participating in one of How these fancy dress balls. Yeah. We are looking at maybe like distant roots. Right. <laughs> one, one of them. One uh-huh. of them. So let me, um, I think I should also try to clarify a bit because opera was just one of the genres that was produced and consumed. But of course, opera had its own sort of history as a form of art, but at the same time, when we look at popular culture mm-hmm. of early 19th century, I would say opera was just one of many right. that uh, was consumed, produced mm-hmm. and consumed. Then another point I think I'd like to emphasize is how opera, or the role of musical performance, where some opera included, the consequences of the initial encounters with professional Western opera mm-hmm. vary from one locality to another. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Batavia, starting with this the initial opera, professional opera performances of 1835, if I'm not wrong, it started off this long series of theater seasons that hosted not only opera, but orchestral pieces, mm-hmm. uh, other types of entertainment, circus, acrobatic performances, and so forth, individual artists. So there's this, at least in the context of institutionalizing opera along with other forms of entertainment. Batavia probably had a long-lasting sort of theater seasons, but that does not mean they're still there today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, But if you look at a place like Macau, Macau hosted one of the first opera seasons in Asia. But in the 1840s, this I need to study a bit more. If there are more groups coming and visiting touring in Macau. But what I'm aware of is in the 1840s onwards, local Macanese communities, they started organizing themselves to sort of, to sustain this this new sort of wave of pattern of cultural production. 
And then one of the outcomes of such movement was uh, as this, the opening of Don Pedro the Fifth Theater, which stood standing. It opened by 1816, mm -hmm. but it's local initiative, not something that's okay. coming from right. outside, right. Right. which is the case of Batavia. Mm -hmm. okay. Batavia is all importing right. one right. group after another, right. almost every season. There's right. there was no local artists, kind of right? right. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so that's something I'd also like to mm. just mention. Mm, All right. Okay. Oh. So we have to wrap things up soon. Uh, but before we let you go, uh, Akiko, uh, maybe you can just give us um, your takeaway of you know doing this research and mm. especially in contextualizing how opera has sort of like influenced the culture of imperialism back then. Why is this? This why why is this research important? What um. One reason I believe my research is important is, first of all, I'm, I think I'm digging out events and movements of people that not many people have studied before. So in some way, my research is filling in the, the gap in the scholarship, especially in the context of the dissemination of opera, global dissemination of Western opera. Mm. Then, but... Um, in a broader context, probably, and I'm hoping that my work has something to say about the creation, the role of music in the creation of imperial cultures, and also how these imperial cultures uh, transitioned or transformed or continued on in the context of decolonization eventually, to what extent these encounters that I was talking about are still, do they still matter today or not? Or they sort of disappeared? That sort of, and why? So I think these are some of the takeaways, mm -hmm. I hope. Great. Okay, great. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Akiko. Um, you just heard from Akiko uh, Sugiyama and mm -hmm. uh, Simon Soon. We've been discussing the Western opera in Asia. Share your thoughts with us by tweeting us at BFM Radio or you can always send us an email to nightschool at bfm.my. You can also follow us on Facebook. Look for BFM Night School there. Uh, thanks once again, Akiko Sugiyama thank and you. Simon Soon. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you've been listening to Night School on BFM 89.9. The business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.